Let's go. Sports cubicle. My God, do the Bears. Can I swear you at Paul Aceus? No, you cannot swear. The Bears suck. My God. 374 yards to 38-year-old Joe Flacco. You remember the last time he was relevant, Paul Aceus? Because I sure as hell don't. Ten years ago? Yeah, it sounds about right. God. Big fat bleeping contract. Ugh. Yeah, two receivers with 100 yards for the Browns. And if it weren't for the three interceptions, I don't think that game would have been close. And, of course, the Bears uh, blew the lead in the fourth quarter, blew the game. It was like had the winning touchdown in their hands, but Darnell Mooney somehow kicked it out of his own hands. Well, Paul, uh, toss me those uh, Clorox wipes. Whoa! Oh, no, I just pulled a Darnell Mooney. God. Let's not talk Bears right now. We have a much better thing on the show, right, Paul Aceus? Yeah, we got the uh, Bulls Ring of Honor. The Bulls are announcing that they're going to be honoring some of their former players, coaches, uh, you know, personnel around the team. And, of course, the 95-96 team themselves as an entire team. Uh, that should be exciting. Mercado and I are going to talk about that. What do you guys got? Well, of course, Marver, he got a uh, Paul Prima, Illinois Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, Marver, I mean, he... He knows people. I mean, is it just old people know other old people? I guess so. Uh, speaking of old people, Mercado and I reflect on the 1963 Chicago Bears as uh, this week, 60 years ago, they won the NFL championship. Did they ever kick a ball into an interception? <laughs> no, but I think they uh, they clinched their uh, championship on an interception. Well, if you saw my thing on Twitter, it was hashtag fire everybody, and it looks like at the end of the season, Bill Belichick's going to be looking for a job, so maybe, just maybe, we'll see him in some blue and navy because if Luke Getzey and Matt Eberflus have a job next year, um, I don't know, Paul Aceus. Yeah, after watching that Bears game, I would not be surprised if we wake up tomorrow morning and see that Matt Eberflus got fired. I know that's not Bears, but this kind of would be one of those times where maybe you could get that done if it was ever going to happen. And we saw another head coach get fired at halftime, so fire everyone. So the Chargers, after Thursday night, fired their coach after a 63-21 to drubbing at the hands of the Raiders. You just had to let that second part in there. Yeah, I had to get that in there. I'd mention Liverpool, too, if they won, but they didn't today. Sucks to suck. Bears suck. Liverpool sucks. Fire everyone. Mercado, take it away. By the way, the Bulls are doing a ring of honor, and that means they're inviting Phil and Mike and Scotty. Well, I'm trying to figure out, first of all, (laughs) the Bulls are an embarrassment to the NBA. I have zero idea what they're doing. They should have had a clearance sale like three years ago. I, mean, I was like, dude, y'all stink, y'all stink, y'all stink. Get rid of get, You got to start. I'm trying to figure out when they're going to start to rebuild. I was like, and were they waiting on Michael and the guys to die before they come up with the ring of honor? I mean, don't they have a statue out front? I think you'd rather have a statue than be in the ring of honor. No disrespect to being, because I'm in the ring. He's going to have both. He's going to have both. But can you imagine Scotty and Mike crossing paths at the ring of honor? Hey, they're not going to do that on the same night. No, they are. They are. They're inviting. Everybody is going to be there, and it's next month. You know what? I got to (laughs) go. I got to go. You might not make it. You might make it awkward, even more awkward if you go. No, I'm just going to sit back in the corner and stare. <laughs> hey, wait, what night of the week is the Bulls thing? What is the January 12th? Friday. Friday night. I can be there. I can be there. Maybe you go with Michael Jordan's son. Dan, <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you something. I'm going to have to go to Chicago that day just to, just to see it. I mean, you talk about weirdest, uncomfortable 
that uncomfortable won't do it justice. I mean, I do. <laughs> People, people, first of all, nobody's going to watch the Warriors or the Bulls. Okay, let's get that out the way. <laughs> nobody's going to see the Warriors against the Bulls. But everybody's going to have their camera focused on those guys. I can't wait. People to go are going to show up at, right at the end of this second quarter. That's exactly right. They, that's like, they're going to go and get all liquored up the first half, and they're going to leave right after halftime. Yes. That audio gold is courtesy of the Dan Patrick Show. Charles Barkley joining DP. And if you have not been in the loop, the Chicago Bulls will be unveiling their new ring of honor. We're going to get to all that in just a moment. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado, we hope you each are having a wonderful day. And yes, the news broke that the Chicago Bulls are finally inducting Michael Jordan and others from their dominant 90s run into the Ring of Honor, including so many other. This comes to us from Ryan Young, a staff writer over at Yahoo Sports. The Bulls announced plans for their Ring of Honor on Tuesday, which will be headlined by Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. The inaugural class for the Ring of Honor includes 13 people and the entire 95-96 Bulls team, which went 72-10 and and won the NBA title. The fourth in their sixth title run, former Bulls coach Phil Jackson, assistant Tex Winter, and former general manager Jerry Krause are all being inducted, as are Artis Gilmore, Jerry Sloan, Tony Kukoc, Bob Love, Chet Walker, Johnny Kerr, and Dick Klein. The Bulls will honor the class at a private event at the United Center on January 11th and then during the halftime of the Bulls game against the Golden State Warriors on January 12th. Warriors coach Steve Kerr spent five seasons playing for the Bulls and was a member of the 95-96 team. The Bulls will keep adding to the Ring of Honor every two years. In order to be eligible, players must have spent at least three seasons with the team and have been retired from the sport for at least three years. So, so much to break down both from that clip, Pauly, and just in general, the news of this moments coming for Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bulls fans, former players, so many names that I want to rattle off and I want to see into the ring of honor over the next few years. But before we get to know that, the funny clip that we heard from Charles Barkley, like the way he just has a way with words, that was a pretty amazing clip, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was cracking up listening to that for the first time. And I mean, you know, he's right. It's going to be a little awkward having everybody there. But isn't that how family reunions kind of go? Yeah, 100%. And, and isn't it it's the right names? I mean, I know there's names missing from the list, but I think, you know, we got to get the old heads and the, the greats out of the way before we start going to the, like the next level guys. Because I think you said Jerry Sloan was in there, right? Yes. So it's, it's all the guys who have had numbers retired essentially Bob, the retired uh, numbers bob love mm-hmm. uh uh was it jerry sloan michael jordan scotty pippen dennis rodman i'm trying to think who else has had a retired number that that would be uh in that list oh, I think you that's, got it that's everybody yeah, there's, okay. there's, there's, and then of course you know phil the legendary mm-hmm. phil of course you know tex has got to go with him jerry's going um, up there yeah, jerry, jerry, jerry jerry Krause, and then of course like johnny red Kerr for all of his yeah. uh was like first coach of the the whole thing longtime broadcaster mm-hmm. he basically is mr Mr. Chicago Bull, mm-hmm. um, and then the 95-96 team, one of the all-time NBA teams, like arguably the greatest if it weren't for the Golden State Warriors and their 73-9, but they did end in a championship. It don't caveat. mean a thing if it ain't got that ring. So, so, and I'm trying to think, like, I didn't know about Chet Walker. What's funny is, um, yeah. I know, some, you know, like, you know probably Bulls history more than yeah. me, and I'm sure uh, our boss, you know, like, I'm thinking, like, Chet Walker, I'm envisioning, like, some sort of dorky white guy with, like, red hair that sure. came from Texas or something, but yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, wait, no, the Bulls 
Bulls are from the late '60s, so it's like that you know, wasn't like, the case yeah, for them. They weren't the Boston the Celtics. Yeah. 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 So so I'm looking. I'm looking at Chet Walker and his career and whatnot. You know, coming from the Sixers, going to the Bulls. I think it's also because we've had some famous Chicago sports writers with the name Chet that we just yeah, automatically yeah, oh, go sure. to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, no, this was a stud. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like you yeah. know, like uh, Chuck uh, Converse yeah. All Stars, you know, type. And then uh, uh, Artis Gilmore, absolutely yeah. deserving. I'm trying to think if there's anybody who who else on the list am I missing here? Because I I think that covers all of the essential no, essential bowls yeah. right now that you like if you're talking about the franchise history like you're telling some kid grandpa tell me about the chicago bulls everything you know you know and if you were an almanac those are the guys that you were gonna pull up what i'm waiting for is is eventually this is gonna run out or they don't have guys to i actually abduct. disagree with this and i'm well i'm wondering if the, this is gonna be an annual thing because i well, think eventually you're gonna run out you know like but eventually you're gonna have to have Derek rose in there eventually you're gonna have to have joe kim noah in there you're gonna have to have uh luol dang you're gonna have to have captain kirk um who else i mean you know like uh you know what uh, uh dave corazine um who you know who else gets in doug collins you know eventually this is going to run out for the bulls but um but i love that they're doing it just to you know because some of these guys are still alive and it's like now or never um, and, and I think, you know, based on what Charles was saying, the awkwardness, it's not like you can just pull these guys together every time it's like, uh, you know, 25th or third, I guess now 30th anniversary. Gosh, isn't that crazy? We're already at the point where these championships are becoming 30 years old. So the, the reunions are few and far between less and less as time goes by. So I'm glad that they're kind of having like a big bash to open this thing up, but I feel like they're doing too much at once. And I feel like eventually this is going to run out where, well, what's the point of a ring of honor if you can't add anyone to it. So, like, the franchise has to get better in order for this to be uh, justifiable. So we want to know your thoughts, so let us know. We know that this will be happening every three years. They will be going in to see these new <laughs> Ring of Honors. It's going to—you have to be retired for at least three years, and it'll yeah. be every two years. Yeah. So we see who will go through. We want to know your thoughts. Derrick Rose is the next one. We want to know your thoughts. Who should be in the Ring of Honor for the Chicago Bulls? We're on Twitter at SportsCubicleTV. Leave us a comment down below if you're watching the video version. A very interesting day for Chicago Bulls fans. We'll see who will be inducted in the new Ring of Honor over at the United Center. He's Paul Shivari. I'm Mike Mercado. So uh, t today we have as our guest, Paul Primo, who actually I uh, first ran into as a, an opponent, being a New Church alum. He was on the bench at Evanston High School, and uh, uh, he uh, he was, he, and that's the first time I ran into the gentleman. But later on, uh, my son went and daughter went to Glenbrook North High School. He was the principal for 10 years. And uh, unbeknownst to me, you know, when he retired in 2015, I thought his career was over. But then all of a sudden, I see him sitting on the bench at Loyola Academy, and I said, "Is this is this his twin?" <laughs> I thought he'd retired, but that's not even the, the the best of it. I mean, he graduated from National Lewis University in Chicago and turned his education doctoral dissertation into a book about leadership and sports. And coaches of Chicago, inspiring stories about leadership and life. He focuses on the three well-known coaches. Uh, high school and college coaches, Rick Melnati and the late Steve Pappas and Gene Pingator, who was the most successful boys basketball coach in terms of wins. So uh, as an author, he's got that going for him. And there's a couple other things that are, that are pretty amazing when you look at it. I mean, he, he um, went to St. Pat's and uh, for high school and uh, at St. Ignatius, he was the basketball coach early in his career. And among other things, I, you know, I didn't even realize this. He, he was at Highland Park as the athletic director and hired, um, Paul Harris, who was there for 25 or more years as a successful coach there. So, I mean, it seems like, Paul, you must like like 300 years old, just, just with all the things you've done. I mean, you made Paul, Paul Harris a coach at 29, and you yourself 
we're, we're a young coach at St. Ignatius. So uh, I know that you're not 300 years old, but the reason we have you on here is because of that great new facility on Bedford Park that's long overdue, the Illinois Basketball Hall, you know, Hall of Fame facility. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, and then we can dive in further once you've sort of laid out the, the scenario for that facility. Okay, Paul? It's all yours. Well, Dan, Dan thanks so much for your generous uh, uh, welcome. Um, I couldn't keep a job all those years. So uh, we were, I was very fortunate to work in some of the best places in the world and working with your kids and kids like your kids. It was, uh, I, I really enjoyed my career immensely and continue to, yes, I still help out at Loyola Academy with Tom Livatino, who was my assistant at Evanston many years ago. So I'm returning the favor to him and really enjoying that role, but let's talk about the basketball museum of Illinois. It's, uh, it's long overdue. Every state that touches the state of Illinois has a hall of fame or a museum dedicated to basketball in their state. And, you know, even with great reverence toward the state of Indiana, they can't hold a candle to Illinois. And where I really learned that was in the eighties and nineties, when I was a coach at the five-star basketball camp in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, long before AAU grabbed, uh, grabbed so much of the attention of our summer youth for basketball and my first few years there, it's a, it's, it was an incredible experience. The best players in the world would come and convene in Pittsburgh for, for a week in uh, July. And what I learned right away was we'd have a draft. We'd have a little tryout where the kids would be broken up into teams. There'd be 200-some kids. And we break them into teams. And these were world-class players, all of them Division I players. Many of them went on to play in the NBA. And what I learned was during the draft, the Illinois and particularly Chicago kids, they were drafted in the first round every year, every session. Um, and I, I don't know that I would have really understood, you know, these are kids from New York and Baltimore and all the hotbeds, L.A., um, you know, Memphis, Detroit, and the coaches and some of the best coaches, you'd know all their names because they were young at the time, but now have all become very famous. Um, they knew there's a special brand of basketball that goes on in Illinois and it's physical and it's defensive minded and it's something that is to behold. And if you've ever seen a, a tight uh, in one of the gyms in the Catholic League uh, where the, the tension is so high or you've seen a really packed house for a public league game in Chicago and obviously the suburban leagues and all, all the way downstate, you see a, a level of competition that is extreme. I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to be going so long. Is, can I continue, Dan? Are you okay of with course, this? Of course, of course. I mean, it's all it's all yours. I mean, I you you're, you're instrumental in in the, in the foundation of this, so uh, you you know most about it. Devin will pipe in too if if he has any questions. But I, I'm just amazed that it, it, you know that it took this long to for this to happen. So the floor is yours. In complete agreement. And uh, uh, Bruce Fershaw is the chairman of our board. And we're all volunteer. We're all educators and former coaches. And uh, it's been a long time in coming to fruition. And Bruce Fershaw deserves a lot of credit for keeping this dream alive 
during the last few years as we are still very much in our infancy, but he was able to keep things rolling. And then Bob Ward is our executive director and Bob has opened a lot of doors for us and was instrumental in developing this pathway to Bedford Park and the beautiful Wintrust Sports Complex of Bedford Park. It is just a gorgeous facility, eight full courts, uh, state-of-the-art lighting and flooring and equipment, and we've got a beautiful restaurant and bar there. And, uh, and we've been fortunate to meet Mayor Dave Brady of Bedford Park. And uh, Mayor Brady just made it uh, very open to us that he wanted us. He wanted the Basketball Museum of, of Illinois to become the cultural gem of this beautiful facility, just steps away from Midway Airport, just a couple blocks away from the Melnatis on Cicero Avenue, um, another basketball name. Um, and so that's what we're doing. So we're in phase one right now. We're trying to celebrate our history of Illinois. I mean, you think about it, George Mike and Ray Meyer, the the game of change, the Ramblers of 1963 and how they changed not only basketball, but civil rights in the fact that it became such a visually prominent uh, memory and a, a moment in our history as we were evolving. Um, and the, the flying Illini, you know, Jerry Sloan, uh, Chris Collins, Doug Collins, Dan Issel, Dwayne Wade, Anthony Davis, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it just it, it goes it goes on and on. And yeah. you can imagine when we talk about Doc Rivers and Isaiah Thomas and all the greats of, you know, we're, we're creating a Gene Pingator piece right now. Dorothy Gators and Doug Brown, Doug Bruno were kind enough. I mean, Doug Bruno is a U.S. Olympic coach and Dorothy Gators is renowned and they helped to celebrate a Title IX celebration that we had uh, back in November for their 50th year. I mean, Candace Parker, I mean, the, the list goes on and on about how many things we need to celebrate. And I know your, your audience hears this all the time, but we do need your help. Please go to our website, Basketball Museum of Illinois, and you know, tool around in it. You'll recognize that it's not the greatest website. We're very much in our infancy, but there's a lot of good material there and it improves by the day. Um, and you'll learn about our mission and there will be also be an opportunity to connect with us um, and contact us. And also, most importantly to us, if you could donate even just as little as $10, it can help us uh, go a long way in continuing to work through phase one of our uh, of our evolution. Phase one, we're working on the already available uh, facility in Bedford Park, and uh, there are eight exhibits that currently are there, and we are we are thrilled about that. But phase two is we will continue to decorate that, and then phase two we'll have an actual three dimensional museum space for us. I know I'm rambling. What am I uh, missing, okay. Dan? Listen, well, you forgot one of the you forgot one player, the current coach of Duke. <laughs> well, you know, think about it. Not only yeah. John Shire, who is Mr. Basketball of Illinois and the best playmaker I've ever seen in my 50 years of being involved in the game. Man, what a wonderful, wonderful young man John was. And obviously I'm proud of him from being a an alum of GBN. 
but also his predecessor, Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, is there a bigger name in basketball than Mike Krzyzewski? And he's obviously a graduate of Weber High School and a proud son of Chicago and Illinois. So all of these people were trying to celebrate. And then what I'm most excited about, and I think we are as a, as a, as a board, we have developed these, these educational opportunities, this curriculum that we can not only celebrate the history, but we are reaching out into the, you know, the areas of Illinois that need us most. And we're teaching elements of leadership and STEM. You can imagine the scientific connections to basketball and in all of those pieces and teamwork and the civil rights. We're doing a special uh, Martin Luther King uh, weekend at uh, at the beautiful facility in Bedford Park. So we're, we're doing our best to educate all ages, but we are particularly interested in uh, in sharing these wonderful stories with the young people of Illinois so they understand the rich history that preceded them. Now you got it, Paul. It's at 5499 West 65th Street, Bedford Park, 60638. Got a phone number there, 312-501-5174. Now, if you want to go to the website, like you were just talking about, it's pretty easy to do that too. Just uh, go to your Google machine and you'll, you'll find that too. <laughs> but it's a it's a it goes it goes under uh, basketball museum of illinois.com, right? That's pretty much it. And, it's uh, as simple as that. Yeah. And, and any anybody who's a, who loves the game and Dan, you and I have particularly been touched by this game in a, in a big way. It's it shaped my life. And I know you are as passionate about it as I am. And I think there's thousands of us in the Chicagoland area. If you could just please help us right now to complete phase one. I don't know that we would need more than a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars to complete phase one of what we're doing and then the big the big uh, slog is going to be raising a couple of million dollars to build the three-dimensional interactive museum where it can become a destination museum a place that the city of chicago and the state of illinois can really be proud absolutely so um that's it guys it's a uh, you know you know, there's all kinds of things to consider with, with, with when you're starting a new venture like that. And obviously, uh, uh, there, there's always the, the, the financial component. So obviously, if, uh, if, if you know, you can, there's, a, there's a button right there, you click on a green button that says donate. So I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to be doing a fundraiser per se, but, but it is, it is a, a spot where you could, could uh, contribute to the, uh, the future of this uh, terrific museum. But uh, um, so all in all, like I say, uh, I like you were saying, Paul. It's a you know you're you dedicated a, your your life to all different kinds of activities, not only athletics but administrative, and and uh, it's a wonderful. Uh, you touch so many lives. It's a wonderful thing, and I, I commend you for that, of course. And this is like icing on the cake to have a legacy of this building. So um, congratulations on that, and uh, you know. Well, uh, I, I like I haven't seen it yet. I, I want to go out there and you know, and uh, it's right in the shadow of Midway Airport, so it's not too bad. They're gonna they're gonna actually have the Kennedy <laughs> on Tuesday. It's gonna actually be working in in the regular way until the spring. Can you believe that? So it'll be Amen. downtown, <laughs> and then of course it'll be all torn up in the spring again, going in the other direction. But it might make it easier to get downtown and out to the southwest side. So don't be bashful. You always take the tollway. Worst comes to worst, but it's uh, it's not that 
not that bad to get out there. And uh, it's it's uh, you know it's been a good driving condition, so no excuse for not getting on the roads and doing what you need to do. So, well, uh, Dan, full disclosure, yeah. what we have there right now is really modest. We have eight okay. exhibits. It's very small. We don't really even have a way to welcome people. I mean, you can you can certainly come in and, and view what we have, but we're in our infancy and this is the time for anyone who loves basketball to get behind us and help us and join our team if you'd like because we sure could use not only monetary help but uh but creativity and uh and the word of mouth so thank you so much to you and devin for allowing us a couple of minutes to to okay. tell our story you got it and uh again uh we're we're gonna have to put a wrap on this because uh we're uh, you know at the end of our time allotment for this segment. So again, Paul, appreciate uh, your time today. Glad we got to catch you. You know, I'll see you soon somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I always do, and I, I usually I see your strong sun right in yeah. your shadow there too. Exactly. Exactly. Congratulations okay. on all you've done as well, Dan. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. So uh, that's it for this uh, portion of today's program, and stay tuned for more. And WCPT, 820 AM. While 2023 has been an eventful year, 1963 has a special place in the heart of the city of Chicago. And to kind of take a look back at history, I'm here with Paulie Shavari. Paul Shavari, I'm Mike Mercado on the Sports Cubicle. And Paulie, the Chicago Bears, obviously always near and dear and in the forefront of news here in Chicago, the NFL king in the United States. And this is something that I think you and I kind of went down a weird rabbit hole to talk about the world champion Chicago Bears in 1963, a team that if you're looking at them probably should be made of a movie when you think about who they had to beat to get to the championship game, how they won the championship game, their record, some of the names on this roster, especially, you know, you, you, you're here in Chicago and anytime you hear Bears, you know, Depka's coming up and yet his tie to this team. So this is something you actually brought to me in, and you a historian on not just MLB, but loving history of sports. What drew you to the 63 Bears, not just it being the 60-year anniversary, but the awesomeness that is kind of this, the white sea, navy blue Chicago Bears? I, I think, you know, the 60 years was the, the big reason, the main reason. Like, now's a good time to look back, but, but also they won a championship. You know, this was the last before the Super Bowl era that they won. Um, and, and I think with me being kind of a, a generation or two removed from it, I remember my uncle and my grandparents kind of talking about the 63 Bears. But when you're little and you don't really have a concept of time, you kind of confuse the, the 40s and the 60s like they were right next to each other. So, like, you know, I'm thinking as a little kid, like T-Formation, and it's a different team. This is, you know, Billy Wade and, and Mike Ditka and, you know, uh, uh uh, Richie Pettibone and uh, Ed Obradovich and those guys, Johnny you know, yeah, Johnny Morris, yeah. you know, um, and then just how dominant they were when when you look back on it. I think this is, um, um, I don't know if there's been any since. I would think maybe the Ravens, but I think the, only the third team in history where the defense led the league in fewest yards given up, fewest passing yards given up, and fewest total yards given up. Um, 
and maybe total points, but I'm not sure about that one, but dominant defensive team. And this might be when Monsters of the Midway got coined because they truly were the monsters. But like, what a crazy schedule. It's back when it was 14 games. There's, there's something really huge that jumps out to me about the schedule when you think about it chronologically. What jumps out to you when you look at the schedule when, the, when they play it? How crazy of a schedule this is. At one point, you're doing three road games. At one point, you have three straights, home games to California, run yep. that they have to go to. So, so look at the first, let's go the first six yeah, weeks. Yeah. At Green Bay, at Minnesota, at Detroit. Crazy. At home for one against the Colts at Wrigley Field. The Baltimore Colts. The Baltimore Colts. And then you go to the West, way out West, even though you're the Western Conference, at yeah. Rams, at 49ers. So right off the bat, the first six weeks, they're on the road five times, including two way out in the West Coast. So, you know, it's funny, just in that little breakdown, we skipped over the fact, I mean, and we'll, we're we'll go get over some of that. All the yeah. games, I, I, some context to this. George Hallis is still the coach of this team. Mm -hmm. They're For playing his fourth, at his fourth stint. Yeah, and they're playing at Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. So there is a real connection to this kind of last championship. And then when you bring up the Packers, the Vikings, the Lions, there's remnants of what we know yeah. today. Yeah, like, the, we the, still the know NFC Central, today. the NFC yeah. North. The, yeah. um, you know, like, could you imagine? What if I told you right now? Oh, the Bears' schedule's been released. They got to go on the road and play at Green Bay, at Minnesota, and at Detroit to start the season. It's like, there's the season. Yeah. The season's determined the first three weeks right, of the right season there. already. Yeah. And, and and the Green right. Bay Packers are the defending national champions, the defending NFL champions the previous season. So they start at Lambeau. In, in that game against them. So we're going to go down the schedule in a second because I think this is a formidable schedule. It's a formidable record and what the Packers and the Bears both did in 63. I think it's always important to remember where you came from. But, you know, I always tease the NFL more than any other sport because of my frustration with the 85 Bears about championships and Super Bowls. So this, let's take nothing away from the historic meaning of what the 63 Bears did. Where do you, how much stock do you put in football world championships compared to Super Bowls? I think they're important because, I mean, you know, even though this is technically in the AFL, NFL era, they're yeah. still kind of figuring out just how these leagues are meshing, which one's better, which one's not. You know, are they truly competitors? Kind of like the AL, NL in like 1901 for baseball. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I put a lot of stock into it because this was this is the origins of the NFL. I don't know what what if um what if someone came to you and said, all right, every Super Bowl from like one through twenty five is invalid because it just wasn't really just that, that competitive. To yeah, we've Super got we've got something even better. We've reformed the uh, the entire uh, uh, system, you know, to have the best two teams play each other. Just to kind of give you an idea of where I'm where my mindset is in this is, I think of the ABA NBA mergers kind of when I really think about. The championships kind of taking a new level because mm -hmm. of that. Then I think about the segregation, the integration of the Negro League to MLB is kind of yeah, a different you, way. Like with, best out of fourteen teams yeah. in this case, whereas like you know, like the Celtics sure. were whooping up on sure. everyone, and it was like only ten teams in the league back then. But yeah, there, there's an element of that, and then also the the championship game was played at Wrigley because they had the better record. So right. in, a, in a way, right. you could argue that these feel more like conference championships nowadays than they are Super Bowls. But this is the end all be all. This is what they. Had. I don't know this who won the AFL in nineteen sixty. 
63. Yeah. But but whoever that was, yeah. I think, would have to go against the Bears in, in that quote-unquote, you know, Super Bowl negative three or whatever, you know? You can only play your schedule and you play what's given. It's the same thing. I'm never going to take away from the Dodgers winning a World Series in the pandemic, in the pandemic or when the Lakers. We can make fun of in them. The we can have jokes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, like, if yeah. you don't take away what you still had to do because had the Bulls or Cubs-White Sox had won either of those championships, we'd be hanging up banners here at the studio. So absolutely. you're 100% correct. Crazy don't get me schedule. wrong. I was yeah. looking up every team that had like a power five uh, sort of celebration here. You know, we, we almost talked about the uh, National League champion uh, 1938 Cubs, but I figured I figured only championships. If we're going to take a look back, it, it can only be true championships. So It's interesting you bring up the Cubs. I was looking at this too because obviously we're talking about the 63 Bears, but the 60s in Chicago, you had the 69 Cubs. Yeah. So there was some vibes going on. And but they didn't win anything. They didn't win anything, and it's, it's that weird... I want to put myself as a sports fan in Chicago at that time. How how important did they was this for them? This looked important because, like, if you imagine if this season, this coming up year, right, we take that where the Cubs are in the playoffs, the Bears are in the playoffs. Like, it's important. The White Sox are in the playoffs. The the Blackhawks. It doesn't matter. Like, this city gets up for a huge winner and especially a dominant winner like the 63 Bears. I wonder if you're looking like, I'm thinking of a Christmas story, Ralphie's dad looking at the newspaper talking about Bears-Packers, how important the 63 Bears were to Chicago. They must have been as important as anything else because it's still cemented the, almost a legacy, right? See, I think so, and it's hard for me to kind of place that because because the I I was so young when the '85 Bears happened that all I knew was that, and that was in yeah. the in the throes of it, you know. So like you know, like all those all those household names back then. But I'm telling you, growing up though, I remember you know my grandpa was a big Bears fan, could tell me about the '40s Bears, the early '60s Bears, and then with my uncle probably being a teenager around this time, has talked about you know. So like I knew the names Johnny Morris and uh, Willie yeah. Gallimore, yeah. and of course Mike Ditka and uh, um, Billy Wade and um, oh uh, uh, Pettibone and uh, you know oh Bradovich. Those, you know, like, Shadow so, Bradovich. No, yeah. I think, um, maybe, was Doug, was Buffon? I think Buffon was a little bit later. Okay, than yeah. okay. Because I didn't um, see him on the roster, but we always, anytime you can mention yeah. Doug Buffon, we're going to. So. Um, you know, and, and then kind of watching some highlights on this, you know, I learned about Joe Marconi. You know, okay. he's such a bruiser of a, a fullback. That such a Bears had. name. And, uh, um, oh, their kicker too, yeah. Roger LeClaire. He was like a big dude. Yeah. You know how, like, nowadays the kicker's the smallest dude yeah. on the team? Roger LeClaire was yeah. not the smallest dude I on the that. team. I love that. I love that. That's why I love Justin Tucker. Give me yeah. a beefy yeah. unit of a punter, please. And, and looking at, like, you know, of course, this is still an era where, like, the past is not as dominant dominant as it is you know nowadays but Mike Ditka was such a force you know just sure. being a, a tight end but also I think just almost in a way like a third or fourth receiver for them uh, just really you know a bruiser himself just kind of getting the ball there was one game late in the season um, against Pittsburgh it ended up being a tie game um, but they, uh, you know, like he, he, they, he needed like a big, uh, they needed a big play. He got it. It was like, you know, a dump of a pass, like 10 yards or whatever. And then he just pounds his way down another like 30, 40 yards. So, um, you know, I think he was even, you know, this is why he's a hall of famer. I think he was one of the, you know, pro bowl or whatever it was all pro back in the day. So, uh, yeah, Ditka, a, a force on this team. We don't have to go game by game here, but there's some highlights that I picked up where, so they start at green Bay. It's the defending champs. 
the Green Bay Packers hadn't lost at home since 1960, and the last team to do that was the Bears in That's 1960. That's crazy. Um, their first home games in week four. That you know? context, oh, really yeah. fast, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like, just think to about that. To start the season start, like that. Yeah, and, and you imagine, the for you, Paulie, like, let's make it personal for you, the Raiders go to Arrowhead after three right. years of, of the Chiefs being undefeated, right. and they go in there and they beat them to yeah. start a championship season. Like, that is And then huge. have to go to, like, uh, SoFi Stadium, Stadium. and then... Uh, uh, with Denver or whatever. Yeah, yeah okay. So high, crazy. Um, Ditka gets four touchdowns against the Los Angeles Rams. They whoop up the Rams 52 to 14 uh, week five. But then week six, they're back out west, San Francisco. Now, like, the Niners were terrible in this era. So crazy to think and, too. But this is like David upsets yeah. Goliath. 20 yeah. to 14, Kizar Stadium. San Francisco, so that's the only loss all season, what we eventually find out. And it's weird that it comes to a team like San Francisco. Um, but then you you know, you flash forward some, you know, tough you know, they they beat up on Philadelphia. I think that was the out of conference game. Um, you know, they they uh, take care of the Colts in Baltimore. Of course they uh, um have a tough one against the the Rams back at home. The Packers, week ten though, twenty-six to seven dominating them. Like they were in charge the whole time. But both teams eight and one going into that that game. It's really gonna determine the conference. And it, it more or less might determine the NFL since we got last year's champions and the way the Bears are playing this season. Uh, you know, Lombardi and uh, um Hallis at uh, um Wrigley Field. You know, Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field, Wrigley Wrigley Field yeah. Start out by Lambo um, and then in, in November before Thanksgiving, yep, you're yep. in Wrigley. So now now here's the weird thing. So they're next to uh week eleven, week uh twelve, um tie and tie, both coincidentally seventeen to seventeen. Now, what happened between November seventeenth, nineteen sixty three and November twenty fourth, nineteen sixty three? Major American history moment where they have to even determine if they're even going to play games on November twenty fourth, nineteen sixty three. Is this when uh Jack Ruby killed? Well, this oh. is J- JFK on the 22nd, and then, okay. yeah, I think probably the 23rd or 24th Okay, is so we're there. We're right but, there already. But the NFL decides to play games. You know, uh, they uh, play in Texas? Were the Cowboys uh, playing at that the, the, Texas that, that this, The Texans, the Dallas Texans were um, eventually the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're the Texans or the Chiefs at this moment, but yeah. that's AFL. AFL okay. decides not to play. Okay, wow. NFL decides to play because I think it was Pete Rozelle said... Uh, Kennedy was big on football and the spirit of competition, so we're going to keep playing because of that. Now, I'm wondering if that sort of lingering in the air kind of killed the momentum that the Bears had going into that, a four-game win streak. Yeah, going into Pittsburgh is tough. I'm sure the Steelers were a tough team back then. And then they come home and play a tough Minnesota team, Norm Van Brocklin. Um, You know, but two ties right there, I'm wondering... If maybe they could have, would have, could have, could have gotten wins there, yeah, go thirteen yeah. and one that I season. Didn't even think or of that. I didn't even think of I don't know. That. I thought that was kind of interesting with just the the timing of everything. But then they finish off the season um, wins against San Francisco, twenty seven to seven, to make up for the loss, and then the Detroit Lions, uh, which was a tough one. They were behind in that game and uh, eventually had to work their way back into it. It was a must win game, a, a winner a tie, must win or tie game. A loss would have given Green Bay the division. And uh, Bears end up winning, um, you know, through the help of, uh, you know, certain guys, like I was saying, Joe Marconi, uh, Benny McRae uh, had a couple pick sixes during the season. We talked about Johnny Morris, uh, Willie Gallimore, Mike Ditka, Billy Wade. Uh, they had 39 interceptions, a team record 
at the time. That's crazy. I mean, if you think about it nowadays, that's that's pretty crazy. Thirty nine yeah. interceptions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they end up playing the Giants in the championship game. Top offense, the Giants versus the top defense Bears. Last time the Bears were in an NFL championship game, they lost to the Giants in nineteen fifty six. Bears end up winning that game close. It came down late. Uh, but they had, uh, I think, five interceptions on Y.A. Tittle. They were beaten up on him all day. Tittle throws like an interception to Pettibone late in the fourth quarter as they were trying to drive downfield and take the lead. And the rest is history. The Bears are world uh, national champions, world champions at home at Wrigley Field, uh, beating the New York Giants for their I, what their eighth championship. You no, know, it's history? their seventh or eighth, yeah. I believe. I think yeah, it was their eighth, seventh. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have it in front of me. I think eight yeah. was the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it's interesting that. And I'm so happy you brought this to to the forefront. I'm so glad we brought a spotlight to this. I highly suggest any sportsman, especially the young kids, or the youths that are listening to us on the interwebs, all over social media, on Sports Cubicle TV, on YouTube. You know, you found this here on WCPT. Check out these 63 Bears. Go down the rabbit hole of some of the historic teams, some of the historic players that you hear about. It's always a fun time to just throw it on YouTube and I watched, see what Yeah, I watched the yeah. newsreels on YouTube and it was really neat to see. And, and like really underrated um, guy that I'd never heard of before this, like Joe Marconi for sure and uh, Benny McRae on defense. Uh, really huge, especially like clutch when you needed him against Detroit and against uh, New York late in the season. So I'll leave us with a philosophical question. You guys can leave a comment down below or of course all over social media. 63 to 85. Oh, don't even 20, compare the two. 22 years in between championships. Yeah. It is 2023 moving forward since 1985. How frustrated is there a comparison between the frustration of Bears fans in 1984 the same way there is Bears frustration in 2023 in between championships? I want to know the fervor. Did 22 years pass by where Bears fans still loyal to the team or were they ready? Well, you got to remember there's some tough years in there. That's there's what like I'm the, saying. The so Neil Armstrong and uh, with Jack Pardee. Yeah, and, it wasn't you know, good. Yeah, it was not. It I was, mean, you were talking was, like, you yeah. know, like uh, Peyton was the only like shining uh, ruby on that entire uh, that entire uh, coal, coal mine there. <laughs> so let us know. What do you think? Do you think Bears fans were more hungry, more angry than they were? I would say they're more hungry today. Let us know. Sports Cuba Go TV on the comment section below. What do you think having a 37-year-old? We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. Okay, is the, is the, do you feel like the talent you have here is good enough? We're getting ready for Cincinnati. we got to turn the page. I mean, we're going to sit there and talk about the Kansas City game for the rest of the season any more than we would talk about any of our big wins for day after day after day. You know, it's 24 hours after the game. you you got to move on. Will we be getting ready? Will we be moving on to a new home for Bill Belichick, the legendary coach of the New England Patriots? We are here to break it all down on the Sports Cubicle. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. And this very earth-shattering news kind of came and went, but I don't think we can just pass by this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle without talking about it. This comes to us from Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston via Hayden Bird of Boston.com, who said on Monday that Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, already made the decision to make a change after New England's Week 10 loss to the Colts and Frankfurt. Quote, when they came out of Germany, conversation I had that week made it very clear that a decision was made, Curran said. They were going to play out the string at the end of the year. There would be parting of ways for a variety of reasons. So Bill Belichick will finally, maybe, perhaps, be done with the New England Patriots. And, I mean, 
I think the dynasty has been done for a long time, especially after Tom Brady hoisted a Vince Lombardi trophy for another franchise. But Paul, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. Before I throw it to you on your thoughts of Bill Belichick with the Patriots, whether you put some stock in this, whether you think this might happen if you thought this day would happen, I want to remind people. Vince Lombardi didn't finish his career with the Green Bay Packers. No, he did with the Washington Redskins. There are plenty of head coaches that have not finished, legendary, all-time great head coaches that did not finish their career. Mike Ditka and the New Orleans Saints. Shout out Ricky Williams. There is a lot of interesting that goes on with these coaches. I will say this much. I do think there is only one true team in contention to bring in Bill Belichick to give the keys to the franchise and entrust him. That is the newly owned Washington Command. But there are a lot of teams, including two fans of franchises that might need new head coaches that would perhaps give up the farm system for him. But a lot of philosophical thoughts about the modern day football and how Bill Belichick fits in it. Does your organization want him? Can it handle him? Are you comfortable enough to have that type of culture personality in your locker room? And I've always said this about Bill Belichick. He's always been so praised by people, but they've taken the wrong lessons from Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick wasn't a great coach because of those press conferences. Bill Belichick was a great coach because he knew how to get the best out of his players, and he adjusted his systems based off of the players he had on his roster. One year, they're throwing it over the top. The next year, they're screening you to death. One year, they're the best defense. One year, they're a team that gets by by scoring 50 points. He always adjusted his team, and I think we have seen the end of Bill Belichick in New England. But with all that, Paulie, your thoughts, you've been emotionally scarred by this man and his teams. <laughs> you have seen the dynasty grow, come and gone, and now you've seen the day where he's probably done in Foxborough, in Boston, and I think now it's an interesting time. Where are you at with this Bill Belichick story if by the time we hit 2024, he will be done with the New England Patriots? Well, you got to respect the legend. It's the end of an era. You know, much like Brady leaving the Patriots, this is kind of the final uh, nail in the coffin on the the Patriots' legacy from the the first quarter century. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this while we were talking about Belichick, and you were setting that up with the press conference. It, I, I was thinking how long he's been there since the year two thousand. I was in college when he became the coach. I remember Bill Belichick, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Bill Belichick and I was surprised that he got that gig right away and I, and then I remember he was like the Jets well, it was, it was the Jets, right away was but it? I didn't say yeah but the uh, he was with the uh, Big Tuna uh, in the with, New York yeah, with, with the Giants Bill, yeah Bill, with the Giants and then with the Jets yeah. as well and then he was going to be the Jets coach himself for a day but then that's where came he back left. and went to the and I remember yeah. that uh, I think because that was. Uh, you know, somewhere around the time I was like a senior in high school going into to college or whatever that this all happened. I never thought that it would end up being what it was with Tom Brady and all the championships and all the success and all the great players that have come through and, and played for him. But while we were thinking about this, I thought about one thing. Who coached before him in New England? Oh, that's a great question. I have no idea who is the New England. So here's a hint. Patriots it's coach. a current NFL head coach. A current NFL head. Was it Pete Carroll? Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense because they have those weird parallel careers of like guys who didn't make it in their original teams and found yep. new homes for Pete uh, Carroll. I was going to and, college. And former Jets uh, yeah. coaches, I guess, technically, if you want to count Belichick as one. I guess amazing, they though. named him, but yeah. he never coached a single game. I think there's so much interesting in mind. We're talking about a 71-year-old who will be 72 by the time next season starts. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how much left he has in creativity. When you're seeing guys like Mike McDaniels, 
the coach of the Miami Dolphins. Which is a very, um, regardless of his future success or not, that is a very good example of what modern coaching, what like the next wave of coaching looks like. He's a total dork, no NFL experience whatsoever, played, I think, Ivy League ball as a wide receiver, does not look like a coach, doesn't talk like a coach, but has figured out a way to be successful with running offenses and running the Miami Dolphins. And think about it, like guys like Sean McVay, and Kyle Shanahan, yep. who have Matt Lafleur, who are like are these super All guys geniuses that came from the same tree, as yeah, exactly. Well. And there is something to that. And then you still have guys like Andy Reid, who is interesting to see has he kind of taken a step back because we know we like to blame Matt Nagy, but everybody knows no matter who the OC is for Kansas City, whether it's Bieniemy or Matt Nagy, Andy Reid is calling the plays. So it goes to show that you know. Andy Reid won't retire a Kansas City Chief head coach. He'll finish somewhere else as well. I I think he'll retire a, a, a Chiefs head coach mainly because he is probably in poor health compared to Belichick. Comparative to? Yeah. Um, that, that's just, I mean, that's my assumption. I know that's terrible to say, but I, I think I think Andy Reid, um, especially with the success he's having late in his career, I think he'll, he'll end up with Kansas City probably leaving in the next few years and sunset his career there. Belichick, I think, has a realistic shot at chasing George Hallis and Don Shula for most wins. He needs 27 more wins to do it. I mean, he's going to be old by the end of it, um, but I think he's going to try and at least chase Hallis for a couple of years in Washington to get to number two. Uh, and, and maybe maybe if things are going successful in Washington, maybe in three or four years, he can probably get the, the 27 wins that he needs in order to uh, tie or pass Shula. That's assuming that the New England Patriots do not win another game this season. If they Even if they do that, that could factor in. All he has to do is, I think, coach probably like three or four seasons and he can get it. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's the only reason I could think that Belichick's career is going to last longer than Andy Reid's is just to chase the, the NFL history. Belichick is a big NFL history guy, so I could see him. I don't, I don't know if Belichick is egotistical, but I know he's a big history guy and that he's going to want to be somewhere on that list ahead of Hallis and Shula and only needing 27 wins at this point to do it. I think is is realistic and obtainable, and that's why I think Belichick will last longer than than Andy Reid in terms of age coaching into his career. As a Raiders fan, would you want Bill Belichick to come in and run the organization as not only the coach but as a GM? Because we do know Mark Davis will give him full control of that organization. Would you want that? I think now is not the right time, but under different circumstances, yes. Five years ago. Yeah, five years ago, yes. Uh, Two Mm -hmm. years ago when they ended up going with McDaniels, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1998 when they realistically were looking at him, yes. But right now that would be a little weird. I think that all depends on what Bill Belichick wants to do. If Belichick really wants to like stop coaching and just be a GM for these next few years, then maybe. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, why would you invest in a 71-year-old GM? Right. I think I would rather have him be a coach, but wherever he goes, he's going to have full control. I think you're right on with Washington, but yeah, Washington, Carolina, Chicago, Las Vegas, Los Angeles Chargers. There's a lot of a lot of places on the table right now where he realistically could be coaching. But I think like the odds-on favorite has got to be Washington because uh, I think they'll give him the most control. And I think that franchise needs a hard reset that a coach like that could give them, regardless of the successor or not. You know, it might be like John Fox with the Bears, where total rebuild mode, and he's just kind of the right guy to to bring these players into the league. 
Um, but I think for Bill Belichick, I think wants to get into a winning situation, probably wants to give it a good three to five years and wants to pass Don Shula for all-time wins. So I think for the Bears, this is a scenario where just like the Raiders and a lot of different teams, if it were a few years back, you'd be all in on it. I do think Ryan Poles is coming back as general manager of the Chicago Bears. Mm -hmm. I do think Kevin Warren does have some form of faith in Ryan Poles. Just like Jim Harbaugh, you can't bring in somebody like Bill Belichick when you have a GM that is not as established as Ryan Poles is not. He is not one of these top-tier guys that has won multiple conferences, multiple divisions. You know, you won't see Bill Belichick go to, I don't know, Baltimore and say, I'm taking over this whole thing. It's like, no, we have a good thing going. Same thing in Pittsburgh, right? Like, they have this organizational structured in a way in which it all goes down. The Bears cannot afford to bring in this type of guy. That's why they'll go after an offensive coordinator or somebody who doesn't have the tape, the same type of Swing. And there's a reason why the Bears have never hired a coach of that caliber to begin with, because they are scared of that type of person, that type of personality taking over Hallis Hall. So while it's an opening, I do think the Bears are definitely more of a far shot of even being in the conversation with Bill Belichick. But everybody needs to turn that rock. Yeah, but I I think the Bears are a different organization than most situations just because of the you know, the, the legacy franchise, the old ownership, yeah. the the weird sort of imbalance right now. Papa you know, Bear. Yeah, and you know, and it's like yeah. you already have Kevin Warren trying to right the ship and, and be the, the most consistent part of that franchise. I don't think they need a Belichick right no. now to provide consistency, and I think that would kind of deter from some of the things that they're trying to build there. It, it's yeah. the same thing. I think Vegas is a better situation, but I think it's similar to what yeah. the Bears have where, yeah, it'd be a good fit, but it's not the right it's fit. It's not the right fit. Not but, right now. But, not what you're trying to do. And, and of course, there might be some out of town stupid with us with Washington, but it just seems like it's a way better, you okay. know, especially because they're moving on from Ron Rivera. I don't know about Carolina, what's going on in that situation. So it seems to me, if you're looking at why Washington seems to be the right answer, it's A, it's obviously still in the East Coast. Yeah. They're going to have the new stadium, all that. They have new ownership. The, the that can legacy franchise. Yeah, and it just seems to be one of those things where, it, where there's smoke, there's fire, mm -hmm. and Washington keeps coming up. But we are in a new day. We are in a new day, a new age, and Bill Belichick won't be roaming the sideline of Foxborough of Gillette Stadium. It will be a different stadium when kickoff of September 2024 happens, and that in itself is going to be a mind trip. So I'm fascinated to see what that was. I mean, just as much as it was crazy to see the number 12 jersey in Central Florida wearing a weird red and gold and cannonballs of a pirate ship and not of revolutionary soldiers going on, as weird as that was for Tom Brady— It'll be just as weird watching Bill Belichick with a sleeveless Commanders sweater. But we want <laughs> to know Titans jersey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Leave us a comment down below if you're watching us on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle Sports from the Couch. We're on Spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcast at WCPT 820, HeartlandRadioSignal.com, and of course everywhere else at Sports from the Couch. He's Paul Shivari. I'm Mike Mercado. We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank you all for listening. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Of course, we're on YouTube. Just search for YouTube.com slash Sports Cubicle or Sports from the Couch with Mike Mercado. We are on SoundCloud. We're on Spotify. Wherever you listen to your podcast, more than likely we are there. So long, everybody. We'll see you next week. Fire up, everybody. Paul, you better be